Two men on a mission to change the face of the organ world. Driven by their passion for the king of instruments, these two seek to share their love of the pipe organ with as many people as possible. Through their own arrangements of popular film, TV, and video game music, our hosts use their unconventional approaches to inspire pipe organ enthusiasts, both young and old, and to bring new audiences to this magnificent instrument. Together with you, they will journey through the fascinating world of the pipe organ, always eager and never afraid to break with tradition. Rob Labinsky and Johnny Salimovich are the Organ Mavericks. everyone and welcome to the organ mavericks podcast i'm your host rob labinsky and i'm your other host johnny salimovich this is episode 20 and today we are continuing in our organ mavericks in history series that we've been doing for a little while with olivier messian Messiaen was a 20th century French composer, organist, um, and really kind of um, developed his own musical language for his compositions. A lot of which, and in, in he is, um, I, I don't know if he's the first composer on this list, um, but he is, he is one of these composers that, um, while organ was his primary instrument, he composed for a lot of different ensembles, a lot of different instruments. And so some of what we're going to be talking about in this episode, um, pertains to his music in general, but all of it is reflected in his, um, in his organ music. He was, uh, the, um, pieces for organ are probably the most plentiful, um, in, in, um, everything that he composed. And you can see, um, you can see examples from all of the different compositional periods of his life, um, reflected in his different organ compositions. They, they exist in, they exist in, in, in every phase of his life. So they're, they're a good basis and they're, and in, in a lot of times they are, uh, like the premier examples of the different things that he did. So, um, this, I, I've always been fascinated with Messiaen's music. I, I, I will say at the outset that listening to it is not necessarily for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I would yep. say, I, I, I would say, um, you know, if you've never listened to him before, give it a chance. Um, and maybe as we go along, I will, I will give you some, I, I, I will give you some of his more tame pieces to, to listen to, um, to kind of whet your appetite before diving into the, the more, um, I, I, I won't say bizarre, but the more, um, um, unique pieces, um, mm-hmm. as he really started to develop his, his own musical language that was, that was different from what we think of as traditional tonality. Mm-hmm. And the other word I was actually thinking about was exotic. 
as yes. well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exotic would definitely be a good word to describe him. Um, and, and, and a little background on where I'm coming from on this. So um, when I was in college, I actually did an independent theory study on Messian my senior year um, and did a whole uh, thesis on it and exploring the, the various different aspects of his his compositional style Um you know, which can be, you know, which really breaks down to um, rhythm and um, his own sense of tonality and then his his um, his quote unquote non-musical influences, mm. um, the, the biggest of which is Birdsong, which we'll get into a little bit more. Mm. Um, so. Um, yeah, so, so, so I have done, um, extensive amount of work and I actually managed to find my thesis before we recorded this. So I'll be, I'll be pulling some of my, some of my information from that for this episode. Nice. Cool. And, uh, this was, yeah, I haven't really heard much about Olivier Messiaen until a little while ago when Rob was introducing me to him. So I'm pretty, uh, new to Messiaen in general. And I believe some listeners who are listening right now who, who may be on the same boat as I am. So I can't wait to dive in, dive in further on this. Yeah. And as, as we'll find, he has a, he has a very interesting, um, um, biography, um, somewhat unique in the composing world, shall we say? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, for sure. And we will be using Britannica for most of it. And, uh, the Wikipedia and the Wikipedia one for some of his, uh, later for some of his later parts in life and of course we will leave the links to the sources in the episode notes for you guys to look them up as usual and so i believe we should start with uh with his biography here so starting with this olivier messian in full his full name being olivier eugene prosper charles Messiah, which is pretty long. <laughs> That's a pretty long name. So Olivier Messiaen is a great way to shorten things up. He was born in December 10th, 1908 in Av- Avignon, France, and died April 27th, 1992 in Clichy. I believe it's Clichy or it's Clichy. I Cl- don't... Uh, Cl- Clichy. Clichy. Okay, that makes sense. Clichy near Paris. He's an influential French composer, organist, and teacher noted for his use of mystical and religious themes. As a composer, he developed a highly personal style noted for its rhythmic complexity, rich tonal color, and unique harmonic language. And so, Messiaen was the son of Pierre Messiaen, who was a scholar of English literature, and the poet Cecil Sauvage. He grew up in Grenoble and Nantes. 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 Oh man! <laughs> oh my goodness! These pronunciations. Oh, the the, the French. The French is gonna get you. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So Nantes. Yes. Was it Nantes? Okay, mm-hmm. good. Greno- Grenoble and Nantes began composing at age seven and taught himself to play the piano. At age 11, he entered the Paris Conservatory, where his teachers included the organist. Marcel Dupre and the composer Paul Ducas. Yes, he actually also studied with um, Charles Marie Vidor, who we covered in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. 
That indeed we did. And so, during his later years at the conservatory, he began an extensive private study in Eastern Rhythm, Birdsong, and Microtonal Music, which <laughs> uses intervals smaller than a semitone. We talked about that with Ives. I believe we did. <laughs> oh, boy. Hashtag plugging older episodes. <laughs> oh, yes. And uh, we can definitely see, you know, from see uh, like earlier in his uh, lifetime where he got uh, influence to uh, do the uh, exotic things that he did later on. Mm-hmm. And so in 1931, he was appointed organ. He was appointed organist at the Church of the St. Tr- Trinité Paris. Messiaen became known as a composer with the performance of his Offrande Oubliée, Forgotten Offertories, in 1931, and his Nativité du Seigneur, or <laughs> Seigneur, or I'm Senor. not sure. Seigneur. Seigneur, okay. All right. Nativité f- du Seigneur, yep. Feel free to go with just the English titles. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> or yeah, 1980, 1938, The Birth of the Lord. Yes. Now, in 1936, with the composers Andre, jo- Andre Jolivet, Daniel Lusser, and Yves Baudrier, he founded the group La Jeune France, which is known as Young France in English, to promote new French music. Yes, yeah, so um, just a little a little tangent here. So this um, this little society that he formed, it was to kind of bring back um, some um, some prominence to French music that had kind of fallen off after World War One. Um, I think, and I think you can see you can see echoes of this in what um, Vidor did with the um, the society that he did to to kind of bring um, French music back to prominence. The same thing kind of happened after World War One, and so um, Messiaen kind of followed in his teacher's footsteps and um, you know joined with some other with some other young composers to 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 bring prominence back to to French music and you know and and to promote. Um, you know, some some new styles that were out there. Nice. Okay, so he taught at the Scuola Cantorum and the École Normale de Musique from 1936 until the outbreak of World War II in 1939. As a French soldier, he was taken prisoner and interned at Gurlitz, uh, yeah, some your German, guess is as good as mine. Yeah, <laughs> Gurlitz, I'm. That's just that's my that's the best uh, way I can uh, dis, uh, pronounce that German uh, that German uh, name there, where he wrote Crator pour la fin du temps in 1941, the English title being Quartet for the End of Time. So this is that 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 is probably his most famous work. Um, I forget what it was written for, but there were, so he's in this, he's in this prison camp and few of the, his fellow inmates, um, you know, were musicians. I know there's, um, trumpet, I believe cello, piano, a very badly out of tune piano with, I think a few strings missing. (laughs) Hmm. Um, here it is. Clarinet, violin, cello, um, and piano. Um, and th- this piece was premiered in the prisoner of war camp, um, hmm. you know, and basically it was, um, you know, he, um, you know, he, he, he took what he had available, um, 
you know, and and wrote these pieces, and they, um, you, you know, was, we'll we'll see as we get into it. Um, you know, religion had a had a deep impact on, um, on on Messiaen's musical style, um, and his compositions. And so, this quartet for the end of time comes from um, the Book of Re- Revelation, where you know, dealing with the end of times, which I can imagine living in you know in Europe during World War Two probably looks like, um, you know, some of what's depicted in the Bible of those end times. Um, and so, you know, and so he wrote this piece and, um, it's, I I think this is, this is, this is kind of the, the fascinating part of his story, you know, in that he, he wrote this piece and, you know, he wrote it for what he had on hand. And it's, it is an amazing composition to listen to. Um, it's definitely one of those that I would recommend if you're looking to get into Messian. Um, it is, uh, I, I wouldn't say fairly early on in his in his composition career, um, but it's it's before he started really experimenting with cra- some some really. Um, I, I was about to say crazy. That's not the right word for it. Um, <laughs> different, new um, styles. So um, so that this this that's a piece that I would recommend. It's not obviously not an organ piece, um, but a really cool piece of music nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And it would be interesting to see if anyone has uh, already arranged this piece for the organ. And if not, who knows who could do it first. But we'll see. It would be have pretty... to look into that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be pretty interesting to see that piece being arranged for organ one day. Though, continuing from there, repatriated in 1942, he resumed his post at the St. Trinité and taught at the Paris Conservatory. His students included... Karl Heinz, Stockhausen, Pierre Boulez, Boulet. Jean oh, Boulet. <laughs> oh my goodness, Pierre Boulet. Gotta remember that. I am also learning French, so I need to get used to this. Jean Louis Martinet and Yvon Loriot, I think, mm-hmm. whom he married in 1961. Much of Messiaen's music was inspired by Roman Catholic theology, interpreted in a quasi-mystical manner, notably the um, in uh, L'Apparition de l'Église Éternelle for organ, uh, Vision of the Eternal Church, Vision de la Men for two pianos in 1943, Trois Petites Liturgies de la Présence Divine for women's chorus and orchestra in 1944, Vingt Regards sur l'Enfant Jésus for piano, 1944, Messe de la Pentecôte for organ in 1950, and La Transfiguration de Notre Seigneur Jésus Christ for orchestra and choir in 1969. Among his most important orchestral works is the Turangalia Symphony in 1948 in ten movements containing a prominent solo piano part and using percussion instruments in the manner of the Indonesian... Gamelan. I was about to say that... Oh. <laughs> yep, Gamelan Orchestra, along with an, oh, my goodness, Andes. Okay, along with an Andes Martino, an, ele- an electronic instrument. Also notable is the Chronochromie for eighteen solo strings, wind and percussion in nineteen sixty, the Awakening of the Birds in nineteen fifty three, Exotic Birds in nineteen fifty six. Catalog of Birds in 1959. Seeing a theme here. <laughs> yep. Incorporate, incorporate 
meticulous notations of birdsong, he composed an opera, St. Francois d'Assy, which premiered at the Paris Opera in 1983. Messiaen's method of composition is set forth in his treatise, Technique de mon langage musical, or Technique of my musical language, in 1944. And now, moving on <clears throat> to... What the rest of the Britannica article did not have, which is Messiaen's later life. <clears throat> in 1971, he was asked to compose a piece for the Paris Opera. While reluctant to undertake such a major project, he was persuaded in 1975 to accept the commission and began work on the Saint-Francois d'Assy. The composition was intensive. He also wrote his own libretto and a and occupied him from 1975 to 1979. The orchestration was carried out from 1979 until 1983. Messiaen preferred to describe the final work as a spectacle rather than an opera. It was first performed in 1983. Some commentators at the time thought that the opera would be his valediction. At times, Messiaen himself believed so, but he continued to compose. In 1984, he published a major collection of organ pieces, Livre de Saint-Sacrement. Other works include birdsong pieces for solo piano and works for piano with orchestra. In the summer of 1978, Messiaen retired from teaching at the Conservatoire. He was promoted to the highest rank of the Légion d'honneur, the Grand Croix, in 1987. An operation prevented his participation in the celebration of his 70th birthday in 1978, but in 1988, tributes for Messiaen's 80th included a, completed, included a complete performance in London's Royal Festival Hall of Saint-Francois, which the composer intended. And Erato's publication of a 17-CD collection of Messiaen's music included a disc of the composer in conversation with Claude Samuel. A long and considerable pain near the end of his life, requiring repeated surgery on his back, he was able to fulfill a commission from the New York Philharmonic Orchestra, Eclair sur l'Odela, or however it is, which was premiered six months after his death. He died in Paris on April 27, 1992. On going through his papers, Lauriot discovered that, in the last months of his life, he had been composing a concerto for four musicians he felt particularly grateful to, namely herself, the cellist Mstislav Rostropovich, the oboist Heinz Holliger, and the flautist Catherine Canton, hence the title Concert Aquat. Four of the five intended movements were substantially complete. Yvonne Lauriod undertook the orchestration of the second half of the first movement and of the whole of the fourth with advice from George Benjamin. It was premiered by the Decatees in September 1994. And that would be the end of the biography from here. Yeah, so he had he had quite the life. I didn't I actually had forgotten what what his dates were and I did not realize that his life actually overlapped with mine. Well, that was kind of cool. I was not doing much musical in 1992, but I had started playing piano. <laughs> cool. Um, 
but yeah, so you know, it's in, it's kind of interesting to see, you know, the 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 school that he came out of. You know, we talked about we talked about Vidor in a previous episode, obviously. Um, you know, and Dupre was Vidor's student, and then Messian, um, you know, kind of kind of picked up that mantle from from those two, um, you know, powerhouses in the organ world, um, you know, and continued to and continue to pass it on to the next generation of organists. We, you know, when we 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 talk about you know Messian as a as a maverick, and so where that where that comes in is really in his compositional style, which you know we've already seen, you know, had a lot of different influences. Um, you know, but we haven't talked nearly as much about what those, um, like how those, how those different um, styles and techniques manifested themselves. So, um, um, you know, when we're looking at, you know, him, him studying early on with Dupre, he, um, he, he learns about Greek rhythms, um, you know, which are different from, you know, what we think of traditional Western music. Um, and so, you know, this, this, this different idea of rhythm that comes out of, you know, the Greek tradition, you know, really kind of captivated him and kind of had an effect on his, on his earlier works. But the, the really big in influence was, um, Indian rhythms known, known as desitalas, um, and these become really prominent, um, in, in his later works in his mid to later works, um, we, we we also touched briefly on the um, on the idea of religion playing playing a huge role in his life. He was a devout Catholic. Obviously, he was an organist in a Catholic church. Um, you know, and, and as we were going through some of the the compositions there, you you probably noticed a theme. Um, you know, in 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 them all being on religious subjects. Um, so I think we did. We we mentioned an interview with Claude Samuel, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yes. So I actually have a quote from from Messian um, regarding this. So he says, "The first idea that I wish to express, the most important because it is placed above all else, is the existence of the truth of the Catholic faith. I have the good fortune to be a Catholic. I was born a believer, and it so happens that the sacred texts have struck me even from my earliest childhood. A certain number of my works are destined, therefore, to highlight the theological truths of the Catholic faith." This is the main aspect of my work, the most noble, without a doubt the most useful, the most valid, the sole aspect which I will not perhaps regret at the hour of my death. Um, you know, so obviously a very, very profound impact on his works. And and that is something that kind of harkens all the way back to Bach, you know, who signed every single one of his compositions, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you see that. And, and I think this is a theme that, you know, is echoed through most organists because most organists are going to be spending a lot of their life in a church with with one exception and i can't think of the name of the country now there was a country in europe in the 17 1800s that banned all music other than singing from the church and so organs were actually in like public squares and concert halls and all organ music is secular um a lot of it based on greek and roman mythology um svelink jan petersson svelink is the composer's name is that swedish yeah, it sounds Swedish. I think that's... Wait, I gotta check that real quick. Uh, Dutch. No, it was actually in the Netherlands. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, so it was actually the, the Netherlands. Um, and it's earlier than I thought. It is the um, uh, 15, 15 and 1600s. Um, 
where where this was the case. But anyway, I've gone off on a tangent, <laughs> which is easy to do. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, we were talking about um, religious influence, um, you know, for for organists. So, um, so let, let's let's start with rhythm, and I will I, I will do my best to, to not make this too academic and dry. Um, so so I'll kind of I'll, I'll simplify things a little bit here. So when he's dealing with rhythms in his music, they they really fall into three categories. So the Indian rhythms, which we already touched on, non-retrogradable rhythms, which are essentially rhythmic palindromes. Um, so it's a rhythm, you know, that is the same backwards and forwards. Um, mm. And then free rhythms. So something that, um, you know, really has no structure to it. Um, and that's something that you start to see in, in his later compositions. Um, mm. And so I actually, I actually have another quote from Messiaen here when he's talking um, about rhythm. And he says, let us not forget the first essential music or first essential element in music is rhythm. And that rhythm is the first and foremost the change of number and duration. Suppose that there were a single beat in all the universe, one beat with eternity before it and eternity after it, a before and an after. That is the birth of time. Imagine then almost immediately a second beat. Since any beat is prolonged by the silence which follows it, the second beat will be longer than the first. Another number, another duration, and that is the birth of rhythm. So... um you know, we, we, we think of, you know, we think of rhythm in a classical sense of, you know, meter and like, you know, you have four, four, you have four beats in a measure. Um, and Messiaen doesn't see it that way. He sees it as an aspect of time, you know, mm. so, so rather than, um, you know, rather than, you know, you know, uh, uh, you know, a quarter note pulse, you know, um, you know, that we think of, you know, it has, you know, he would, he would be looking at, you know, notes that have, the same length of time. Um, and he still used traditional notation, but you'll find that in um, most, if not all of his compositions, and I haven't looked at all of them, so I can't say for certain, and I haven't looked at any in a while, um, there is no meter given. Um, you know, and while there are measures, you know, that are there so that it's easy to follow, um, you know, the, the number of, you know, traditional beats changes from measure to measure. Hmm. Um, so, you know, so that's, that's kind of, you know, the basis for, for where he starts. Hmm. Um, let's see here. Yeah. From the sounds of it, it almost sounds like uh, most of his pieces have uh, lots of cadences with uh, almost uh, not much consistency. Is that right? Well, it depends. It depends on whether he's working with his non-retrogradable rhythms, the, those palindromic rhythms, or if he's going um, with the free rhythms, in which hmm. case then, you know, there wouldn't be any structure to it. Oh, okay. Um, so it it's kind of it's kind of like one extreme or the other. There is either rigid mm -hmm. structure or there's no structure at all. Nice, nice. There was one piece, and I I I can't find the um, oh I can't find the example. He has he has one piece where um, there's a there's a duet between the right and left hand, and um, he um I forget what it is. I think he. 
I really wish I could find this. <laughs> I'm trying to scroll through my thesis and find it. Um, but essentially what he does is he, he starts out and he sets out 32 different rhythmic intervals. So essentially like a like from a, the length of a 16th note, or maybe even a 32nd note, all the way to the length of a double whole note. And so he establishes 32 rhythmic values in there. And so he starts one of the voices in this in this duet at the longest note value and then gets progressively shorter. The, the other voice in the duet starts at the shortest note and gets progressively longer, and they meet in the middle. <laughs> hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, so, you know, really, really kind of this... Um, you know, very, very different style, you know, from, from the traditional. Um, so, so I also mentioned, um, you know, his, his fascination with Indian rhythms and there are three in particular, um, that he, um, that, um, that he really incorporated into his works. So these are the Raghavardhana, the Kandrakala, and the Lakshmika rhythms. I have no idea if I pronounced any of those correctly. There, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, the he has a piece called "The Mystery of the." Um, uh, I'm trying to translate this on the fly, and I'm failing. Uh, Le mystère de la Sainte Trinité um, uses all three of those rhythms in a repeated pattern in in the pedal. Um, um, so, you know, so, uh, you know, kind of, again, this, you know, the, this combination with, you know, the, those non-retrogradable rhythms, um, you know, and these very unique, um, Indian style rhythms that, that don't fall into, you know, this traditional sense that we think of. So he has this, um, Livre d'Org, and this is, this is, um, kind of his, in, in his, like, experimental phase where he's just trying to, you know, trying to come up with his own musical voice and style, um, oh, this is the one I was talking about. <laughs> Turns out I highlighted the entire thing. Um, so, yeah, they, so he has a piece called 64 Durations. Um, and this is the one, so it was 64, not 32. Um, so 32 different lengths. Um, you know, and essentially, you know, there's no idea of meter in all of this. Um, you know, but this, this is, you know, this, this is where he started from, you know, in his, in his compositional style. Moving from, moving from rhythm into outside influences on his music. So, um, you know, his, his mother was a, was a poet, um, you know, so there's a, there's a love of literature. He, he was, um, um, deeply impressed with Shakespeare, um, you know, and, and classical literature, you know, really played a, a, a huge role in his upbringing, um, you know, and kind of helped, you know, develop his artistic style. Um, and I don't know if we met, if the, the biography we went through mentioned, um, but he, he was more than just a, a musician and a composer. He was an artist. Um, he was a writer. Um, so he really, really kind of touched on a lot of different, um, arts in his life, but obviously music was the, the most prominent. Um, you know, so so we talked about you know he you know his his religion, and you know one of the things that he admired was what he called music from God, and so this is um, 
these are sounds that exist in nature. And, you know, we talked about this before, you know, but um, birdsong was, was a huge, huge influence on him. Uh, Messian actually even says, uh, birds are probably the greatest musicians to inhabit our planet. Um, and so, you know, he would go out, and, you know, he would go out into the woods, out into the countryside and just listen to birds and transcribe their songs. Um, now, obviously, he lived hmm. in an age where he actually had the ability to to go out and make recordings, but he didn't. Um, uh. He didn't. Um, he, 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 you know, he went out, he, he notated them as best as he could. He, he, he hoped that he was transcribing them accurately, but he acknowledged that he may have added some of his own music into them. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> um, you know, but he, he got, he transcribed hundreds of different songs um f- really from all over the world um you know to to use in his compositions you know and sometimes they they were direct quotes and sometimes they were you know kind of inspired by um one of the the first compositions uh, that he actually included birdsong was la nativité du seigneur which we talked about um and this is this is one where he doesn't use a specific um like a specific birdsong um, but he, he creates a theme which he describes as Magnificat in bird style. <laughs> hmm. Um, it's, um, it's that quartet at the end of, for the end of time. Um, that's where he starts using actual bird song. Um, I'm trying to recall. I know somewhere I saw specific ones, maybe not for the quartet. Um, um, so if we, we, we go back to that Livre de Org um, that he wrote, and um, this, this is one of his first uses of specific birds for all of the melodic material for an organ piece. So um, there's, a, there's a piece called Chant d'Oiseau, which is bird song. Um, and so it is all based on um, the songs of a song thrush, a blackbird, a nightingale, and a robin. Um, and they're all, um, you know, all, all four of those melodies are used throughout the piece, and they're used as a dialogue. Um, and so they never overlap. They don't interrupt each other. They're always used um, in whole, um, you know, the, the, the whole phrase. Um, I, I was commenting on this. I said, though these birds are probably not this polite in nature. This particular <laughs> usage of their melodies is nonetheless effective in conveying the different songs of each bird. <laughs> Um, yeah, could you, you imagine, you know, going out and it's like one bird sings a song and then another bird comes in and reply. I'm like, usually you don't hear things that way. <laughs> hmm. So uh, another, another outside influence, um, on, on Messiaen's musical style and his compositions is, um, the use of numbers. Um, now obviously we think of, we think of music in a, you know, in a very mathematical sense, um, you know, you have frequencies and you have, you know, rhythm and meter and things like that. Um, but, but in this case, it's actually like larger numbers that come into play. Um, and obviously we're, 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 we're going to see his religious influence come in here, um, as well. But, you know, the numbers, you know, that were meaningful him, meaningful to him all came out of his faith. And the, the, the most prominent that we find in his music is the use of the number three, you know, so this is the representation of Trinity, of the Trinity. So, you know, in the, in the um, Christian faith, this was, you know, this is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and so, 
this this number three can manifest itself in a lot of different ways in his music. Um, you know, for you know, um, for One Piece, you know, there it has three distinct melodies. So you've got this, and this is this is um, out of his Livre d'Org again. Um, so you have one melody in the right hand, one melody in the left hand, and then a third one in the pedals. Um, hmm. And 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 he uses this a lot. He uses this in the uh, Pentecost Mass, in the Glorious Body, um, and a number of other works. Another number that he uses um, significantly is the number two. Um, and this is a representation of um, the the dual nature of Christ in the Christian faith, um, you know, being both human and divine, um, you know, as as a lot of I I don't know if I don't know if all Christian denominations go that way. Um, I think most do, um, and that's that's generally I think that's I think that's the general accepted um, doctrine on on the nature of of Christ. Um, trying not to get into a religious dissertation here. <laughs> um, so where, where we see this is um, a lot of Messiaen's early works are, are in two parts. Um, you know, so if we look at like the, the Celestial Banquet um, and Vision of the Eternal Church, um, it, you know, essentially there are two very distinct parts to, to the pieces. Um, you know, and so, and so that... Um, that exists in there. Um, another prominent number is number of seven. This would be the seven days of creation, including the Sabbath. And um, the number of the number five comes in. Um, although this one doesn't have nearly as clear a musical manifestation. Um, and basically, it's um, Messian had had five theological ideas that were central to his faith. So that's kind of where the number comes from but it also has it also has um it also has its roots in his fascination with the hindu culture so we talked about you know those indian rhythms um you know and some of that mysticism um you know comes comes out of there as well um and and five is a very important number um uh, in the hindu culture um at least I'm guessing it is based on what I have written. Uh, if there are people of that faith and it is not, feel free to correct me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so 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 those um, you know, so those are those are kind of non-musical um, things that manifest themselves in different ways. So we we've gone through rhythm, we've gone through external non-musical influence. <laughs> Words are hard. <laughs> we've we've gone through non-musical influences, um, so then we need to get to the actual notes and the harmonic language, um, and and Messian is, I wouldn't say revolutionary, for um, you know for for redefining harmony, um. But he does it in in kind of his own way. So in the in the mid twentieth century, you have a number of composers who, you know, are are looking at you know traditional classical harmonic structure, and are saying, okay, scrap this. Let's come up with something new. Um, you know, you look at people like Arnold Schoenberg, who really played with atonality and twelve tone. Um, music, you know, and you start to see, you know, composers doing a lot more with, um, you know, with um, 
quarter tones and and intervals that are smaller than you know your traditional half step um you know in 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 you know traditional western music as we think of it um you know and where messian you know really kind of set out to um you know, to, to develop his own language. He didn't want to break the rules. He just kind of wanted to redefine them. You know, so, so Messian kind of set out to, to create his, his own language. Um, and, and there's, um, you know, some of what we saw in the rhythms with, with, you know, his, his liking to use like these palindromic rhythms, some of that carries over into his harmony. Um, and it, he, um, you know, one of the things that's kind of central to his, um, you know, his use of tonality, use of harmony, is this idea of modes of limited transposition. And a mode is essentially another name for a scale. Um, you know, but if we think of like the traditional major and minor scales, they can be, um, you know, they can be transposed into 12 different keys. Messian liked the idea of um, modes, and I'm going to use the word mode because that is um, that that that's how he described them in his own writings on it. So know that when I say mode, I'm referring to to musical scales, but not the traditional ones. Just to clarify, um, because we we talked about scales and modes, so there are a number of modes that um, existed. Um, and that have existed in tonal music for a long time. These are things like Ionian, Locrian, Lydian, Mixolydian, and things like that. Um, these modes are not those modes. Um, these these are these are modes. Um, a number of which that uh, Messian actually developed himself with with different combinations. Um, the 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 modes like um, you know um, Ionian. Um, uh, Lydian, Mixolydian, and those, those, those are what are known as church modes. Um, and, and these modes are all, of Messians were all given, um, numerical values like mode two, mode three, four, five, and six, and they are not based on any of those older scales. So, um, just, just, just to clarify that there for you. So he, he used these modes where, there's only there's 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 a limited number of times that you can transpose them um, before they essentially repeat themselves, just starting on a different note. So the one that he um, the one that he uses the most is um, he he calls mode two, or maybe someone applied these names um, after him. I'm not sure, but so mode mode two is actually what's known as the um, octatonic scale. So this is not something that he invented, but he really liked it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give a little example here, um, maybe if my keyboard will stay on. <laughs> so this is this is this is a traditional major scale. And then this is the octatonic scale, um, this this uh, mode two that Messian liked, and it is, um, it's um, it's a, um, a combination of um, whole tones and semitones, or whole steps and half steps um, that alternate. So it starts with a half step and then goes to a whole step. So this this scale sounds like this.
so you know very different from um, you know your traditional scale but what's interesting um, about this mode is that there's only three scales in this mode so you can start from um, you can start from C you can start from C sharp you can start from D and at that point they start repeating themselves so if you were to go to D sharp or E flat you're back in the first scale. Um, you know, and you can kind of hear in it, um, the, you, you can almost, I don't know, I, I hear when I listen to it, you, you can almost hear that, like, it's more balanced, um, you know, than, like, you know, your traditional, um, you know, your traditional major scale. Um, and so when you use these scales, um, you know, you get different chords than you do, in you know, from your traditional scales. Um but you still get triads. You still get traditional triads, you know, and so you can still build things that, um, you know, that, that, that sound, you know, with, with, with chords that you recognize, you know, whereas you get a lot of these, you know, things that are like chord clusters and things that, you know, don't file, follow, you know, the tradition, you still get them. One of the things that's really interesting um, that I found about Mode 2 is um, in, in traditional um, classical music, um, every, um, there are essentially seven chords to every scale, um, and they have different importance based on how they're used. The, the primary, um, ones that are used are the ones that are based on the first note of the scale, the fourth note of the scale, and the fifth note of the scale. And so these are, these are what are called the tonic, the subdominant, and the dominant. And, um, you, you know, to, 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 to try to, to simplify this as much as possible. Essentially, the tonic is stable. The subdominant leads to the dominant, and the dominant leads you back to the tonic. Th this is kind of what that sounds like. So the first chord is the tonic, the second chord is the subdominant, the third is the dominant, which leads you back to the tonic, which was the fourth chord. So what's interesting is if you take this mode two, and it's three different scales. The first scale you could essentially call the tonic if you were going to start it from C. The second scale could start from F, which would be the fourth note of a traditional scale or the subdominant. And the fifth scale, or, or I'm sorry, the third scale, um, you know, or the third transposition of this mode could start on G and therefore be considered a dominant. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so he still has that element of, um, you know, he still has that element of, of traditional tonal harmony, but essentially draws a, tri mm, draws a triad out of the first transposition, draws a triad out of the second transposition, draws a triad out of the third transposition, which leads you back to a triad, triad out of the first transposition. Hopefully that makes sense, <laughs> and you're not sitting there going, uh, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, from there, he, he, he developed a number of other scales, um, you know, that, that have varying um, different um, uses of intervals and, and different repetitions, um, and I'm not going to go into all of them because this, that, that's where the explanation starts to get really, really technical. Um, 
and unless you are a music theory nerd like me, um, probably is going over your head. And honestly, some of this is going <laughs> over my head right now because it's been it's been years since I've gone this in depth into into something this non traditional. Um, but it has been it has been fun to do this. So um, yeah, so so to to kind of summarize all this, you know, and and put it in context of you know Messian being an organ maverick. You know, I look at this in, you know, he was really kind of, um, you know, the first organist to to really develop his own tonal style um, when it comes to his composition. Now, you look at, you know, you look at people like uh, Marcel Dupre, you know, another contemporary Louis Vierne, and and they start to push, um, you know, the ideas of, you know, traditional chords um, and traditional chord structure. Um, you know, but it's, it, it's things that like, you know, to ears who are, are, you know, where, where classical music is, is normalized, you can still kind of follow along and it still kind of makes sense. And Messian is really kind of the, the first step to, um, you know, to, to, to kind of re, um, reimagining what tonality is. And it's things that our ears don't, don't necessarily pick up right on away right <laughs> I'm not sure what sentence I was trying to make there <laughs> it's things that our ears don't necessarily intuitively pick up on um you know but as you start to as you start to look into it it's there um you know and so you see that you you see it reflected in all of his music but you know particularly in his organ music um you know and it, and it kind of it really kind of set the stage um um I'm trying to think of the one of his one of his students um, that was that was influential. Um, trying to find oh Pierre Boulet, um, you know I uh, is, is one that I know um, you know from from some of my studies. I don't know I don't know if he was an organist. Uh, no, he was not an organist. Um, but you know, but was a fairly was a fairly prominent 20th century composer, you know, and pulled, pulled a lot of his influence from, um, Messian. So I, you know, I think, you know, he, he really kind of developed his own style. He, he kind of established this idea of, you know, defining your own musical language. And I think we, and I think we start to see more of that, you know, as the 20th century progresses, um, you know, with other composers. Um, you know, I think of, um, and, and, and I, I tend to go to the to the um, to the French school, um, but uh, another prominent um, late 20th century um, French organist, Naji Hakim, um, you know, ha, ha, has kind of picked up on this, um, you know, this 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 idea of you know creating creating your own musical language, um, you know, something that makes sense to you and is able to express what you want to express musically, um, and I and I think Messiaen was was really kind of in in instrumental and influential, um, you know, as both, a you know, as a, um, as a composer, as an organist, um, and as a teacher, um, you know, in, in Paris. Um, and so I think, I think that's why he deserves a place as an organ maverick. And oh boy, from, <laughs> uh, what, from what you have recently just told us, from all the accomplishments that he did, I can definitely say for sure he definitely does deserve that spot. 
Oh my, and he went just, he went uh, more than, he went, you know, far beyond just, you know, composing music. He, you know, and he created his own uh, style of uh, what you've already, you know, mentioned earlier with the different modes, the harmonic language, and wow, everything like that. Yeah. Wow. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, he was, dip- from the sounds of it, uh, Olivier Massillon was most, he definitely looked a lot like he was a visionary of sorts and uh, yes. that that right there is very appreciative to say the least oh yes so 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 i i, I mentioned a long time ago at the beginning of this podcast <laughs> i don't know how long we've rambled on for now um how long i've rambled on you didn't ramble i ramble um, <laughs> Um, but I, I mentioned that I would recommend, um, you know, kind of, kind of a starting point if you're, if you're looking to get into Messiaen's music. So we, we did talk about the quartet for the end of time. So, so one of my favorite, um, pieces of his, and I think, I think one that's a good one to, to, to kind of, um, whet your appetite and, and kind of introduce you to, you know, to his style is a piece called Le Banque Celeste. Um, it was composed in 1928. Um, it's, it, it's not an overly long work. It's, it's, it is an organ piece. Um, but it's, it's, it's a really, um, it, it's a really good example of, you know, some of his youth use of rhythms, um, you know, and in, in his starting to experiment with his own harmonic style. Um, and I think it's, I think it's a good one to start with. The next one that I would go with from there is uh, L'Apparition de l'Église Eternale, or Vision, or either Vision or Apparition of the Eternal Church. And this is where, this is another early piece of his when he's, um, you know, kind of starting to develop his style. Um, I actually did an in-depth analysis of this piece for my thesis. Um, and, and found some, so he was, he was working with these non-retrogradable rhythms, these, these palindromic rhythms, and there are inconsistencies, um, and there's no real explanation for the inconsistencies, um, other than, other than he's, he's still developing his style, um, but this is one where you start to see more of the harmonic structure, and it's not, it, it's not nearly as easy to listen to. Um, as as uh, the Le Banque Celeste, um, but it's not nearly as difficult as some of his other works. Um, but that, that's that's my recommendation for for where to start. If you if you've if you've never heard Messiaen's music before, um, it, it's a good place to start. Hmm. Yep, that's pretty cool. Oh man, fellow Mavericks, that was. <laughs> As someone who has never heard, who has never really heard much about Messiaen before, and listening to all of this, that was pretty much a doozy. But <laughs> like, regardless, regardless of how, regardless of how much info that we had in this episode, Messiaen, as we said before, has definitely has definitely deserved his spot as an organ maverick in history for his for his contributions so far, which. Which, as we as we did mention before, they are definitely exotic <laughs> and such. And so, yep. And so, before we go, fellow Mavericks, we are of course on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter. It is at Organ Podcast. It couldn't get more simpler than that. We always post uh, our the latest episodes on there, and also update you on the on the production of uh, on the. Pro- on the production of future episodes and the such, and also as a way for you guys to interact with us there. 
And of course, if you can't say what you need to to us in the limited characters that Twitter allows you, you can always send us an email. Our email is organmavericks at gmail.com, and we would love to hear your feedback on this episode. Um, if you have other people that you think we should consider for Organ Mavericks of History or other topics for the podcast, we would we would love to hear from you. We would love to hear your impact in 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 trying to say info and feedback at the same time we would love to hear we would love to hear your your feedback um or any questions that you might have we'd be happy to answer those as well that's organmavericks at gmail.com and so fellow mavericks that is going to do it for episode 20 on olivier messian thank you for listening and we'll see you next time